20,000 people at this feeding. Do you get the point? We can see here what happens when Jesus encounters a vast crowd. We see here what could happen, what could happen if we take the message of Jesus out there and to the vast crowds of London. Because, friends, this is a sign of life. It is a sign of life. Now, I am not a betting man. I, I, I promise you that. But if I was a betting man, then I would be willing to wager an awful lot of money on the fact that you have pretty much guaranteed to have heard of this miracle. You've heard of the feeding of the 5,000. You might not have heard of what we're looking at tonight. Tonight we're looking at that point in the book of Ezra where he pulls out his beard and he pulls out his hair. So you may not have heard of that, but you've heard of the feeding of the 5,000. And part of the reason that you've heard of this miracle is because it is so widely recorded. You see, this is the only miracle outside of the resurrection that all four gospel writers record. Okay? They all record it. And we see from that that this is a very, very important event, isn't it? In the ministry of Jesus. It's a significant thing. So let's get to it, okay? And let's consider this sign, let's consider this miracle, and let's think about three points from it. Firstly, let's consider here Jesus' compassion. Consider Jesus' compassion. And we see that compassion in just how Jesus responds to the crowd. Did you see that? Because what's, what's his first reaction? Do you see what's, his, what's Jesus' initial response when he sees this crowd coming towards him? Where is he? he he's sitting on a, a mountainside, isn't he? He's up there with his disciples. He's sitting there talking with his disciples. He's speaking with his disciples. He's relaxing with them. He lifts up his head. He sees this multitude coming towards him. And what is his first reaction? It is a reaction of compassion, isn't it? Because what does he do? He turns to Philip and he says, look at these people. How are we going to feed these people? How are we going to care for for them it's it's instantaneous it is immediate compassion but more to it than that there's more to this compassion than that because here jesus cares for people who get themselves into a predicament do you see that jesus cares for people here who get themselves into predicament. You see, it's a lovely big group of people, and let's see, this is a, a beautiful, glorious morning on the, the, the far side of Lake Galilee, and these people are people who have headed out from their homes, and they've headed out from the towns and their villages, 
and have wandered off to follow Jesus and have gone out into the countryside. They've gone out into the wilderness. But look, they haven't even, they haven't even given a thought for what they're going to need here. They haven't thought about what they're going to need for the journey, what they're going to need for the day. And because of that, what happens is they, they find themselves in the middle of the wilderness. They find themselves a long, long way from home and without any food to eat. You see that? You know, through their own rashness and foolishness, through this complete lack of thought, they're in the middle of nowhere without any food. They've got themselves into a, a tight spot, haven't they? And friends, that just mirrors exactly uh, what we are like so often, doesn't it? You know, time and time again, we find ourselves in, in, in difficult situations, don't we? We find ourselves in real predicaments, situations of our own making. You know, because we're rash and because we've been foolish and because we've, we've spoken in a way that we really shouldn't have spoken and done things that we really, really shouldn't have done, we find ourselves in terrible predicaments. Now, is that, was that where you are today? Is that you? Well, we read here of one who cares. We read of one here who has compassion on people. And he has compassion on people who get themselves into predicaments. Lamentations 3.22 says, a great verse, it says, His compassions never fail. His compassions never fail. So it's immediate compassion, okay? It's compassion on people who... Um, get themselves into a predicament. But then also, and most importantly here, folks, most significantly, this is compassion at Jesus' own expense. This is compassion at Jesus' own expense. What does that mean? Well, we said at the beginning, didn't we, that all four gospel writers record this, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they all give us an account of this. And if you read Mark's account, he tells us why Jesus is sitting up on the mountainside. And he tells us that Jesus was there to rest. He was there to rest. Because think about it. Think about this point in Jesus' ministry. He's been covering the miles, you know, he's been traveling place to place. He's been healing people. He has been teaching people. He's been speaking. He's been dealing with all this opposition and antagonism from, from Pharisees. And Jesus is tired. You know, he is absolutely exhausted here. He needs a break. He needs a breather. So he sits, he goes to the far side of Lake Galilee and he goes up the hill to rest. But when this crowd appears on the horizon, despite that need, that desperate need he has for rest, he still, when he looks up, he still 
shows them compassion. You know, there's no, there's not a sense of unwillingness in this miracle, is there? You know, you don't read this passage in John 6 and think, ah, Jesus, you know, enthusiasm here. You know, you don't sense reluctance. You sense his compassion. He loves these people. He cares for this crowd that's coming towards him. And that means that despite his situation, despite his tiredness, despite his fatigue, all he cares about is this people and their well-being. And this morning, why are we here? This morning, what's so special about our gathering We're here to remember the death of Jesus Christ, do we not? And surely nowhere else in history have we seen such a a demonstration of compassion at a person's own expense. Surely nowhere we've seen that compassion at a person's own expense than at the cross of Jesus Christ. He cares for the crowd. He cares for mankind so much that he was willing to die for them. You see, in John chapter 6, we see this vast, hungry, helpless crowd. And Jesus looks at these people and he shows them compassion. And today, Jesus looks at the, the people of the Barbican, you know, He looks at the crowds of the city of London. And his response is the same. It is compassion. He is compassion on the people of London. Such compassion that he was willing to die in order that they might live. And if we get to grips with that, then we see why outreach and evangelism A mission is just so important, isn't it? Jesus' compassion. He cares for people. Okay. Now let's move on. We've seen Jesus' compassion. (coughs) Let's consider a second thing. And that is Jesus' canyons. Jesus' compassion. Now, Jesus' companions. Now, My previous job, before entering the Free Church College and and, uh, studying for the ministry, my previous job was to work um, at what's called a community worker in a church in Scotland. And that job was based in a particularly deprived and poor area of the country. And the aim was to try and kind of alleviate or, or help Uh, people in difficult circumstances in that community. And part of the remit of my job, a major, major part of my job, was was to try to facilitate others to be involved in the community work. You know, I, I couldn't do the job myself. So part of my job was to try and engage the congregation in being part of this necessary and essential work. And if we look at the details of this passage quite closely, when we see a sort of similar theme begin to emerge, because 
you know, we've talked about we've talked about Jesus' first reaction, that it was a reaction of compassion. But but look at it again, or think about it again, his first reaction. Because Jesus lifts up his head, doesn't he? It's a crowd. What does he do? What does he do? He turns to Philip, doesn't he? He turns to his disciples and he says to them, What shall we, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Where shall we buy bread? You see where we're going with this? You know, Jesus has got the power to feed these people. He could have done this by himself and in an instant. But he doesn't choose to do that, does he? He doesn't choose to act on his own account immediately. He chooses to speak to Philip. He chooses to speak to Andrew. He chose to show us that he expects his followers to be involved in his work. Do you get it? He shows here that he expects his followers to be involved in this work. It's where shall we buy bread? And then look at, look at how Philip responds to this. It is quite a remarkable response, isn't it? Because Jesus says to him, where are we going to buy bread, Philip? Where are we going to get this stuff? And what does Philip say? Well, essentially, Philip says, we can't. You know, Jesus, this is impossible. He says, eight months' wages wouldn't be enough for, to, for each one to have a bite. This is impossible. We cannot feed the multitude. We cannot do it. And Andrew, he isn't much better, is he? He says, okay, here's five loaves and two fish, but how far will they go amongst so many? Do you see the underlying problem with the disciples here? Do you see the fundamental problem? They are too spiritually short-sighted, aren't they? They're forgetting who they're with. They're forgetting who they're dealing with here. They are with Jesus Christ. They're forgetting his power. He's got power to do anything. These disciples, they need to think bigger. And there's a couple of applications here for us, isn't there? For us, for the life of the congregation. Because firstly, we've got this repeated emphasis throughout the New Testament that Jesus Christ wants you to be involved in his work. Jesus Christ wants believers involved in his work. Now, we could cite loads and loads of examples of that, couldn't we, throughout the New Testament? Let's take Acts 1. Do you know Acts chapter 1? Let's take that as an example. What happens there? Well, Jesus is about to ascend, isn't he? Jesus is resurrected and he is about to ascend to heaven. But before he does that, what does he say? He turns to believers and he says, now, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. 
He expects your involvement. He expects our involvement in his work. But there's another thing that we need to see here too, isn't there? Because it is, it's okay and it's kind of comfortable to talk about evangelism within the confines of uh, this church building. I, I know that. But do we really believe in the power of the word of God? You know, do you really believe that if we were to go out there and to tell people about Jesus, do you really believe that hearts could be changed, do you? Well, if you don't, look at the sign. Consider a couple of things. Consider one. Jesus had a plan here, didn't he? He had a plan. Verse 6, he says, He asked Philip this only to test him, for Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. He already knew what he was going to do. He had a plan. He had a plan to feed the multitudes here. And guess what? He's got a plan for our mission. He's got a plan for our evangelism. And who knows? That plan may be a big plan. That plan might involve exponential growth of this congregation. It might be a plan that sees hundreds and hundreds of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? You should. And then a second thing. Do you, let's go back to the beginning, do you think that we are too small? Do you think that this congregation is just too fragile? You know, there's only a few of you. If we're honest, come on. What difference are we going to make to a city like London? Is that what you think? Well, Jesus didn't just involve his disciples, did he? Who else did he involve? He involved a little boy. He involved a little boy with just a few little barley loaves and a couple of tiny little fish. That is the food of peasants. Jesus involved a little kid. And he involved him in the feeding of a multitude. Friends, we need to start thinking bigger. Think bigger. If we believe, if we trust, if we pray, if we cling to the power of Jesus Christ, then he can satisfy souls. And he can do that with the tiny little offerings that we have. Jesus, compassion. Yeah, Jesus, companions. And then we end. Just a third thing. Jesus' comparison. Jesus' comparison. Okay, folks, how good is your biblical knowledge? Are you a biblically literate bunch of people? I won't put you to the test. We did that about ten days ago at youth group. We had... Uh, all the young people of the church up and we split them into groups and we had a Bible quiz. And I would love to do it, but I will not tell you some of the answers that we got to some of the, the, the questions. I will save the young people the embarrassment and I will leave those uh, answers in my pocket just now. 
But if we are going to understand this miracle, okay, if we are going to see the full spiritual significance, spiritual significance of what's going on here, then we have to see up against an episode that took place in the Old Testament, okay? Because in John chapter 6, if your Bibles are open there, then you've probably noticed that there's a discourse that takes place a wee bit later in the chapter. The NIV, I think the pool, the, the the Pew Bible will call it Jesus and the bread of life. You see that? It's from about verse 25 onward. <coughs> and there, in that section, and especially in the area around verse 31, this miracle that we've looked at, the feeding of a vast crowd of people with bread... It is compared and it is contrasted with an episode in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 16 where Moses, where God through Moses feeds, who does he feed? A vast group of people with manna. And in John chapter 6 and against this setting, this Old Testament setting, Jesus makes some dramatic and some really bold and serious claims about himself. Because what Jesus says is, yeah, okay, Moses was given bread by God. But Jesus claims that it's he himself who is ultimately, verse 32, the true bread from heaven. That Jesus says, okay, Moses was given bread. But then he calls himself, verse 33, the bread that gives life to the world. He calls himself, verse 51, the living bread. You see, the trap that we fall into time and time again when we come to these type of miracles is that we approach them and we read them with our Sunday school hats on, don't we? You know, we read stuff like this and we think, ah, what a wonderful story about Jesus' power to create more food. Or what a wonderful story is that Jesus has the power to feed hungry bellies. But you see, there is a much, much deeper spiritual significance to this miracle. You see, it's a sign. It points to something. And it points to the lasting, life-altering, spiritual nourishment that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Friends, he is the place of heart satisfaction. He is the only one who can fulfill our greatest need. He is the bread of life. And did you notice the end of the miracle? Did you see that? Did you see all the waste? You ever thought about that? Did you see all the leftovers there? We well, see, unlike the manna in the dead, do you remember that account? The manna had to be limited, didn't it? 
the people were only allowed to take enough for each day. But unlike that, here, the feeding of the 5,000, there is enough nourishment to go around, isn't there? The people eat and eat and eat and eat until they've had more than they can stomach. They have as much as they can eat. And then there's 12 baskets left over the number of totality. There's more bread at the end of the miracle than there was at the beginning. You see, believers, in a moment or two, we're going to go to the Lord's table. And we should go there with thanks. We should go there thanking Jesus for the abundance, the abundance that his death provides. In dying on the cross, he has provided an abundance of joy, hasn't he? He has provided an abundance of life, life He's provided an abundance of grace. And he has provided an abundant provision of forgiveness. If we will trust and believe in him. So surely, surely we see that that is something that the people of London need to hear. Surely we see that we must take that message out of those doors and to the Barbican and to the city and all the way through this country and to the very ends of the earth. Surely we see that. Friends, after we have eaten that bread, after we've done that, let us take this message And let's take it out there. Let's do that. Praise Jesus Christ that he was willing to die on the cross for our sins. Praise him for this miracle. Why? Because it is a sign. A sign of life. Let's pray.